0: Can I say, we're ready to do Tzaddik, chapter 10. If I uh, needed to summarize Tzaddik in one sentence, I would translate the word Tzaddik as being uh, an inspired person. Tzaddik is an inspired person, but his inspiration isn't moody. The one whose inspiration is moody, we call that our friend the Bainani. We'll get to him. Tzadik's person Tzadik is a human being who is inspired, and his inspiration is quite consistent. It's consistent. That's the essence of Tzadik. He's an inspired person. Inspired by the Abhishta, inspired by Yiddishka, inspired by Tehru Mitsa. To be inspired requires to be a step up on a higher level. And that's essentially what the tzaddik is. A tzaddik is a person who is not different than other people because of what he does only. A tzaddik is different from other people because of who he is. And who he is makes him inspired. And consequently, he lives a completely different type of life. The Altareb, as you know, is giving us mystical definitions for tzaddik ben Yerashim rooted in the Zayat. We have the Gemara in Brachas that corroborates a Talmudic source for the same. But for the most part, it's a mystical definition found at I and the Pashas Mishpatum with which the Tanya began. And the Altarebbe felt that in order to comprehensively, to properly communicate Tzadik Benin Yerusha on this mystical plane... He had to give us this lengthy introduction about the godly soul and the animal soul. And that's what we've been sticking on. We've been delving into the difference between the godly soul and the animal soul. And the last time we met, which was two weeks ago, we discussed the war, the battle, the struggle between the godly soul and the animal soul. We defined each as having a stronghold, a strong house. The, The animal soul's center is the heart. The godly soul's center is the mind. And each one is out for unconditional surrender. Nobody is willing to settle. There's no ceasefires in this war. There are no peace treaties in this war. There are no peacekeeping troops in this war. This is a fight till victory. And um, the godly soul and the animal soul meet on the battlefield of life or of person using entirely different weapons wishing to achieve the same end. The godly soul uses primarily the mind. The animal soul uses primarily the heart and so forth. So the Al-Treb is spent... Whatever it is, eight prakam. However, you want to cut it up, identifying, translating for us what the animal soul and what the godly soul are, as a foundation, as the basis to be able to describe the different personalities of the Tanya, the Tzaddik, which is chapter ten, the Rasha, which is chapter eleven, and then of course the key player in the Tanya, the personality on which the Tanya, around which the Tanya revolves, Bainani begins in chapter twelve. So this week we're going to do Tzaddik. And it's with this background, with the information that we've collected over the last many classes, where we've focused on what the animal soul is and what the godly soul is, that we're prepared to uh, explore tzaddik. You know the animal soul is not necessarily bad. The animal soul is just an animal. And animals live for right now and for right here and for what gives pleasure. The animal soul follows its instincts, its nature, its its basic uh, desires and needs They don't have to be evil. They don't have to be bad. They're just simply animalistic. And the godly soul is very idealistic. It's not just the godly soul is intelligent, but that the godly soul is interested in what's beyond. And that's what the war is about. The war is about two souls occupying the same person, the same city, as the Midrash Ghazal calls it, the Gemara calls it, with entirely different drives. The tzaddik is an inspired human being. And the simple reason why the tzaddik is an inspired human being is because one side has won and the other side has lost. The animal soul has been defeated. Again, a tzaddik, a righteous person in the model of mysticism, in Kabbalah, is not defined by how he or she behaves, but rather by who or she is. A tzaddik is a person whose godly soul has won and whose animal soul is lost. The war is over. And because the godly soul has won and the animal soul is lost, there isn't the struggle, there isn't the seesaw, there isn't the perpetual engaging between, God and, between godly soul and animal soul which define ordinary human beings, Banyanim and Rishoyim. And because the tzaddik has won the war between the godly soul and the animal soul, at least in part, He's inspired. inspired means he turns up the heat, there's nothing to cool it off. There's no counterforce, there's no opposite. The, godly, the, the tzaddik's godly soul is on, there is no opposing animal soul. The animal soul has been quieted sufficiently not to have a voice, at least on certain levels. And as a consequence, there's no reason for the tzaddik not to remain inspired because there's no obstacle to that inspiration. And as you know, the analogy we always use in describing the tzaddik versus the benigni, we use the illustration of the rich man versus the poor man. And the tzaddik's the rich man. How do rich people live? They have a huge shed full of wood that's been held for several years, so it's nice and brittle and dry, treated wood. And there's a, a plentiful supply. And then they take one of those wagons and they load up a whole bunch of logs into the wagon. They wheel it into the living room. And every hour they put one log into the fire and the home is constantly warm. It's never too hot and it's never too cold. There's a constant temperature. He doesn't suffer the problems of the poor person who's worried about running out of fuel, who has to shove all of his wood into the fire in the morning to create intense heat in the hope of staying sufficiently warm as, this, as, the, as the day wears on. The tzaddik just keeps the temperature on. The tzaddik is an inspired person and the inspiration is constant and because the inspiration is constant there's no highs and there's no lows there's just a constant inspiration uh, in his relationship with Hashem he's a warm, he's an inspired (laughs) Jew he's full of feelings for the Eivishter naturally, when a person is full of feelings for the Eivishter, alternative feelings simply don't have any issue, they're not an issue, it's not a struggle Tzalek has a different kind of an existence because he's a very very inspired person now the fancy Hebrew, the fancy language that would be used to, impl- be, to employ to describe an inspired person, the Tzadik doesn't use words like inspiration. They use more classic terms, would be love. The Tzadik's in love with God. But the nature of the Tzadik's love for God is that it doesn't wane. You know, We also can fall in love with God, but we can very quickly fall out of love for God when we discover that we love other things also. Or when we stop focusing on the Elisha. Tzaddikim, because their animal soul, at least in part, has been quieted, their love for God doesn't weaken, doesn't wane. there's no reason for it to. So Tzaddikim's love for God is like the rich man's oven. It's constantly warm. The Altar ebbe, in wishing to, uh, so to speak, give us a sense of what it means that a tzaddik is an inspired person, and that a tzaddik's love for God is constant, introduces a counterpart, an opposite. And that is a hatred for evil. Tzadikim love God and they hate evil. Now you have to understand what the meaning of the word hating evil is. Everybody hates murder. <laughs> Everybody, most people hate the idea of people taking what isn't theirs. The Tzadik's hatred for evil essentially means he has a hatred for anything which distracts from his love for God. In the world of the tzaddik, for something to be a problem it doesn't have to be bad as we define bad. It has to simply be a distraction. You no, know, tzaddik is in love with God. You come to the tzaddik, you want to go out to eat? So something like the tzaddik is saying, no, I'd love to go out to eat, but I'm not going to allow myself the indulgence. The tzaddik is going to say, I have no interest in going out to eat, and I don't have any time, please leave me alone. He's so locked in, he's so preoccupied with his inspiration and the life that that comes from that inspiration. and his relationship with the that things that are not involved in his relationship to Hashem simply have no appeal to him. They have no meaning to him. So if you come to a tzaddik and you want to go out to play ball or you tell the tzaddik, let's relax, let's chill, the tzaddik has definitely no no use for that kind of uh, lifestyle. It's not that he's suppressing himself or having some kind of a discipline. When a person is inspired Everything outside of the realm of their inspiration is a non-issue. It's boring; It has no meaning, and that's how a tzaddik is defined. Because he's in love with God, because he's an inspired human being, he has a passionate relationship with Hashem. Anything but that love, anything but that passion, is, is has no meaning to him. And if you bug him, he just says, I, "I don't, I don't like this." Yeah, but it tastes good, and it feels good, and it's so relaxing, and everyone says it's healthy. The tzaddik says, "You're." You're wasting my time. You're exhausting me. I, I, I'm preoccupied. I'm fully engaged in my love for God. Please don't distract me with nonsense. That's a tzaddik. He's an inspired person. And you must remember that being this tzaddik, being this inspired person is not something a person can achieve on their own. It's a gift from God. It was mentioned before in chapter 1 and it will be mentioned later on in subsequent Prakim for a person to be an inspired Jew. And I don't mean inspired intermittently. We can all be inspired intermittently. We all have good moods. We all have good days. We all have good hours. But for a person to be inspired consistently, like the rich man, it's not just that I'm constantly inspired. I live an inspired life. I live on a pedestal. This is a gift from God. And at least in our generations, tzaddikim are incredibly rare. You know, in historic times, once upon a time, perhaps, they were more tzaddikim. But what defines tzaddikim is not just that they're more religious, they're more learned. Usually it goes together. But it's because a tzaddikim is an inspired person, he's a warm person. He's in love with God, and his love for God is natural and constant and unfluctuating and not moody because he has, to some degree, succeeded in killing or quieting the alternative voice, the opposite passion. And therefore he's locked in in his love for the Abish. Tzadik is an inspired person. So being a tzaddik is a gift. And God gives you the gift if he wants to. If God doesn't want to give you the gift, he won't. And there's nothing he can do about it. Becoming a tzaddik is not an option in the model of the tanya. Serving God is. But being an inspired person, being the kind of person whose love of God is so real and so natural that other things not only are not issues, but they hate, they have a problem with them, is a gift from God. And not everybody could earn it. Now when I was a teenager, I heard something from one of my mashkim one of my tutors, that I have over the years learned to doubt. But I'm still going to tell it to you. Because I think it's interesting. Even if it's not true, literally it's true, I, I could see it in philosophical terms. And that is, the Altarev had a very, very dear friend. The author of the Tanya had a very, very dear friend. One of the closest people to him in fact. Rabbi Levi Yitzhak of Adichiv, Right, And we mention his name just because we need uh, a lawyer. You, know, you mention his name and it's good. He was the advocate of all Jews. Rabbi Levi So the story that I heard, and again as I'm telling you, I, I remember from whom I heard it, and I, I sort of I have a hard time believing it. But I heard that the of Adichov had a problem with the book of Tanya. He loved the Rebbe. He loved the Tanya. And yet, he had a problem with the Tanya Kadish. And his problem was because in the Tanya, the Alta says that becoming a tzaddik is not a personal choice, it's a gift from God. And the Adisha said, every Jew is already a tzaddik. And the Adisha was over the top with his love for Jews. How could you say a Jew can't become a tzaddik? But it's one of the messages of the Tanya, this mystical set of definitions of tzaddik bain and where tzaddik is defined as an inspired human being. And please appreciate, visualize this. I don't just mean that we have moments of great passion for Hashem. A life of passion for Hashem. Where this passion for Hashem is, is what, you, what you sleep with. What you get up with. And it's, it's the nature of the tzaddik is to be in love with God. And not something the tzaddik has to do. It's who He is. It's an incredibly different kind of life than the life the best of us live. Because we struggle. We, we have moments of love for God. And we have moments of love for pizza and sushi. And moments. We were just not in love with anything in particular. A tzaddik an inspired person. The at this is what I heard, had a problem with the fact that the Alter Rebbe proposes that not everybody could become a tzaddik. Why is it the What's the problem? The Badiqva's problem? Because yeah. how could you limit the Jew's possibility? You have, to, you have to see it through the Badiqva's prism. He had this, this infectious and completely super rational love for every Jew. He saw every Jew as so precious and That's so funny. holy. Now, you have to add to it also the alternative Hasidic models. You have to appreciate the difference between Chabad Hasidis and other Hasidus, um perhaps, to also help explain it. And I, I've been quite honest with you. I heard it from a, a person who I respected very much. who was a very important person in my life. And yet, as I've learned, I, I doubt it. I, I have a hard time believing it because I know the nature of the relationship with the Atreba and the Badisheve. I can't imagine the Badisheve criticizing al criticizing on anything. They were incredibly close. And the of respect for the Al was yeah. very extraordinary. But the idea of a Hasidic saying, of a saying, don't limit a Jew, you can the sky's the limit. And Al Tebba says, no, no. You know, the, the sky's the limit. Everyone's got a different sky. Is <laughs> it possible that it's Dakilel like Shammai kind of an argument? It's okay. Yeah, of course. Um, it, 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 it's, it's, not it's, of it's not halachic. It's mystical. It's not halachic. It's mystical. And um, I I would use uh, words like extreme versus balanced to explain the disagreement in, in a normal life it's true that not everybody can become a tzaddik mm. in a hyper, in an extreme life who says you know, and the Alter Rebbe is giving us a derech, a, 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 a way of life which is above all else realistic not easy, but realistic normal, constant, consistent anyway, yes why does it say that Tzaddik could fall? If Tzaddik, you're saying, always inspired? You know what I'm saying? Okay, give me a, also, another, another half Akiva an hour. As nothing and he became whatever. Who? Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva didn't have an ordinary soul. I I, I don't know how to break it but to if you, he but. Was it's hard, he was Tzaddik. He was Tzaddik. Right? How did he start out? Because he had no education. Okay. He had an incredible so, soul, so he had an he incredible was, heart. Rachel, his wife. So with his tools, he was able to. What he, his potential. So technically, somebody could become a sonic if they don't know their potential, but it's a gift if they don't know Exactly. Oh, there's no question about that. So, there's no doubt about that. But awesome. to say that anybody could have been rabakiva I, I got a problem with that. No, I'm not saying. <laughs> a major problem. Because it didn't make sense. It doesn't make sense with what you just said. That's all. I didn't understand. Okay. All right. We've got it all cleared up now. Now, having given you a foundation, a basis. Um, about tzaddikim and I'm communicating to you what I think is the essence of it the spirit of it tzaddikim are just warm Jews they're inspired people and that this warmth is constant we now move on to two categories of tzaddik to be sure if you want to be honest about it there are as many categories of tzaddikim as there are as many categories of as there, are, as there are individual tzaddikim just like there are many categories of human beings as there are individual human beings Because people are not machines, they aren't even animals. We are by definition distinct, as Digmata says. We all look exactly like Adam and Eve, and no two of us look alike. And that's not just physical features, but psychological and spiritual features. So there's many, many different categories of tzaddikim. Yet, there's two broad categories. And this is how I'm going to put it to you. Tzaddikim who are, after all, still human and tzaddikim who have absolutely nothing in common with us tzaddikim who are just just purely expressions of godliness they have zero in common with us the first category of tzaddikim which is of course the broader category the larger category are tzaddikim who are after all still normal human they're tzaddikim they're inspired people but they have something fundamental in common with us and that is that they have struggles They work. This is your answer to your question. They're struggling and working on different things. They're not busy with what you're busy with and what I'm busy with. They they operate in a different plane. But they have this constant. You know, a human being comes into this life, or to use mystical terms, a soul leaves paradise, comes down into this world to engage. Engage itself with its own body and personal intimate life and to affect the world. It's a struggle. It's a war. Most tzaddikim, who are called imperfect tzaddikim, are human. Human means to say they're engaged, involved in a struggle, a personal struggle. Perfect tzaddikim, the higher category of tzaddikim, might as well be angels. I mean, they're completely in a different realm. They have virtually nothing in common with us. Their entire existence is in a transcendent place, on a higher level. So I want to talk about each one of these two categories of tzaddikim separately, as the Alter Rebbe does in the Tanya. Let's talk about us for a moment. We struggle. Why do we struggle? We struggle because we're torn. We're torn, right? The easy struggles are the the rips, the divisions that exist in our lives that are from outside of us. You know, people need our time, people need our attention, you know, people need our energy. That's difficult enough. The deeper struggles is because we're split. Within ourselves, we're torn inside of ourselves. We're, there's a tension, you know. There's parts of us that are going here, and there's parts of us that are going there, and there's parts of us that are going someplace else, and we're divided. There's parts of us that are so sensitive and so spiritual and so fine, There's parts of us that are so animalistic and uh, hedonistic, or even cruel, and we're we're torn, and the struggle is to. Uh, to be a person. <laughs> Not to be a series of neurological responses. Then we're called a Meshugana, and they put us in the Someone told me it's no longer called the G building, now it's called the R building. Be that as it may, you're locked up. <coughs> so that's what life is. Life is our struggle. And our struggle is the divisions, the chasms, is the split within ourselves. In the Tanya, when the Alter Rebbe talks to me and to you, to the common person, what we'll call the Benyani slash balchova, says, you got to struggle, that's normal. If you wouldn't struggle, you wouldn't be alive. Don't concern yourself with how you feel emotionally. The fact that in the morning you're in one mood and in the afternoon you're in a different mood. The fact that in a shul you're in one state of mind and in the street you're in a different state of mind. At work you're in a third state of mind and at home you're in a fourth state of mind. Your success or failure should be measured not by your moods, not by your emotional struggles, but by your behavior, by your ability to control your actions. If you didn't struggle, you wouldn't be alive. And the struggles tear you in a thousand different directions. They're pulling you in a whole bunch of different places. And they're emotional struggles. They're, they're psychological struggles. They're human struggles. al says, well, that's life. You have to just measure yourself by how you behave. If your actions have consistency, forgive yourself your emotional inconsistencies. If you behaviorally follow one path, if you behaviorally have discipline, and you don't allow the different emotions to translate into being multiple personalities on a practical behavioral level, you're a success. We call that a Mm baynini. Now, let's talk about tzaddik, which is the topic of this week. We'll get back to the baynini in a few weeks hence. Let's talk about tzaddik. Tzaddik is is an inspired person. So, if the tzaddik is an inspired person, exactly what kind of struggles do tzaddik have? And the answer, my David Abbasai, the answer to this question is because believe it or not, tzaddik have yehzer haris. They have evil inclinations, they have animal souls. Now, remember, I gave you two categories of tzaddik, right? The first category of tzaddik, which we're going to call "still human," he's pretty much like us. He also struggles. We're talking about this category now. The perfect tzaddik, who has no struggles, who has virtually nothing in common with us, we'll get to later. But let's talk about the first category of tzaddik. The first category of tzaddik—they're very, very, very inspired. Okay, but they're not without static. They're not without resistance. They're not without conflict. But the static. And the resistance and the conflict in tzaddikim has nothing to do with their actions. In other words, they're inspired people. They're, they're, they're emotionally engaged Jews. They're they're emotionally tuned in Jews. Therefore, being a Jew practically is really not that big a problem for them. No, to do mitzvahs, to study Torah, to go to shul, to get out of bed. Their practical lives are smooth, are easy, are struggleless. Because of their emotional inspiration, because they're inspired people, but inspiration can be inexact. In other words, inexact. The inspiration of the tzaddik can be inexact, and here's the way you need to understand it. A human being is layered, okay, and not layered like you know, like uh, I suppose I would say um, um, vertically they're layered this way inner layers and outer layers shallower layers and deeper layers the outermost layer of the human being is what the person does and says and thinks the inner layers are who the person is of those layers the most peripheral is the emotional person the second layer a deeper layer would be the intellectual person a deeper layer still would be the impulsive person the instinctive person the will of the person and a deeper layer still would be the essence of the person. The, the, in other words, uh, the, the, um, in Kabbalah it's called the pleasure. The, 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 the source of how a person reacts to things uh, on the very deepest level of themselves. So you have different layers. Now, when a person is atalik, that means that they're inspired. Inspired means that their emotional level their emotional level, which is the most peripheral of the inner layers, is singular. It's tuned into God and the animal soul's emotions are not bothering it. If you had emotions towards Hashem and no emotions towards pizza or sushi or vacations or other stuff, you'd be a tzaddik. But that by no means means you're perfect. Because the Yetzirah is layer two. Yetzirah exists on the practical layer. That's but one we deal with who's constantly saying, Why don't you try this? Why don't you be lazy now? Why don't you become distracted here, there, and everywhere? But there's yetzahara on the deeper levels of the person. So a, a, a tzaddik who we, in the Tani, is called an imperfect tzaddik, a tzaddik who still possesses evil. But what we're calling a tzaddik who's still an ordinary human being because he has struggled has a yetzahara on the deeper levels of the subconscious. His animal soul is not in any way affecting the inspiration that affects his practical life. He does what he has to do, and doesn't do what he mustn't do, with little effort, because the inspiration that affects what he does is untouched by his Yetzirah. He's killed his yetzarada on the outermost layers. But on the deeper layers, there continues to be stuff that's no good. And these tzaddikim, that are human beings, have struggles. And these are the people you read about in the holy books who fasted incessantly, who would punish their bodies, who would impose upon themselves incredibly intense and extreme workloads, regimens of work, where they would brutalize themselves and beat themselves up. Because they understood that this is their realm, this is their world. You and I struggle to stay afloat, practically to do what we're supposed to, not do what we're not supposed to, and we should be behaviorally consistent. These tzaddikim tune into the Yetzirah that affects not what they do or how they feel, but who they are, the deeper levels of their emotions, they their intellect. They're pretty smart guys. And if I may you say you so, on <coughs> level, you, uh, uh, you see, when the conscious levels have been dealt with, the subconscious level comes closer to the consciousness. And a tzaddik needs a Rebbe more than an ordinary person needs a teacher, a counselor, a guide, someone to help him through life. One of my, I'll get to you in a second, one of my greatest quotes I've ever heard was somebody once said to a tzaddik, Rebbe, how do you read other people's minds? He said, when my own mind is clear, I have space for other people's thoughts. It's an incredibly wise insight. And in terms of a person himself, when you've cleared out the shmutz, <clears throat> the, the, the cloud that defines our existence, you immediately become tuned in to deeper and finer levels of yourself. And this is the realm of the tzaddik who's still human. He's struggling. He's fighting with himself. Because there's an incredible expectation of him. In other words, you're told, we are told, ordinary people with Yetzirah are told, measure yourself by what you do, I don't care how you feel. Just do the right thing and don't do the wrong thing. If you are behaviorally consistent... You're a success story. A tzaddik a is told, that's a benyini or a al tshuva. A tzaddik is told, you have been redeemed from the struggle on the behavioral level. You're an inspired person. You need to perfect the imperfections of your subconscious. Going from the outside in, first deal with your lower emotions, then deal with your higher emotions, then deal with your intellect, then deal with your instincts. Or, and the tzaddik is Constantly refining himself more and more and higher and higher. And as long as he's imperfect on any layer of his subconscious, he remains a normal person whose life is defined by struggle. And it's a struggle that reflects himself, not the world around himself. He can't say, Well, everybody thinks I'm so pious and righteous so I could sit back, relax, and enjoy life. I need to work according to the Abish's expectations of me. God expects me to refine subconscious dimensions of myself whether they're emotional or intellectual or or, or or beyond that and this is this is why you read about this exclusive category of tzaddikim be, having such high standards and incredible expectations because just like you and I if we failed the test of behavioral consistency we'd be called a rasha a tzaddik who fails to meet the challenges of his Need to refine himself on those highest levels will fall. It's what the Abish, the Abish gave him, great koiches, and he's expected to deliver. Go ahead. I, the problem with you is that you're too respectful. Um, would, that, would that exclude all other attachments, like wives and children? Would that mean that, that a tzaddik should be more celibate? Let me put it to you this way you got to be a tzaddikist to be married to a tzaddik. <laughs> tzaddikim <laughs> are human beings. Even a perfect tzaddik is a human being. An imperfect tzaddik is certainly a human being. And being human means they have to follow all parts of the Tata, Between man and God as well as between man and fellow. In other words, you can't you can't grow in your relationship with God and your refinement and your character and your subconscious if your midas are ugly. If your relationship to people are compromised. That's not a tzaddik. That's a, that's a bully. But there's an incredible intensity in the life of a tzaddik. And being near a tzaddik is painful just by association. If you're around a person who's that incredibly intense. He makes you feel very, very uncomfortable. And you almost feel resentful to him. And all he's doing is living his life. So to be married to a tzaddik, you've got to be a tzaddik. And the children of tzaddikim, if they're not tzaddikim, they've got trouble. It's a, very, it's a higher life. I mean, you know, I just read about Albert Einstein. I think it was easy to be married to Albert Einstein. Einstein was no tzaddik. But he was, lived on a higher level. And therefore, the demands that were made of the people around him were extraordinary. They're not normal. A person who's tuned into the Ebishter, you know, and Einstein had downtime. You know, he wasn't always thinking physics. A tzaddik is constantly tuned into the Ebishter. There's no downtime. To be around such a person requires you to be incredibly capable. Of, of living on that level of intensity. You know, it's, a, it's true across, I mean, this is true across the, the, uh, the panorama of human uh, existence. Some people are more intense, some people are less intense, some people are more engaged, some people are less engaged. And in your relationships, you need people who can endure your level of intensity. This is the world of tzaddik. Now, I want to give you two simple examples of the imperfections of a tzaddik. But before I do, permit me to do what I do best, which is, a will repeat myself. <laughs> We've defined all tzaddikim under one basic umbrella. They're inspired people. Inspired people I mean they're constantly tuned in, they're on fire, they're warm. So Yiddishkeit on a behavioral level is not their deal per se. But, in as much as tzaddikim are quote normal people they have at Hades they have animal souls that don't affect their behavioral dimension at all but they affect their inner dimensions their humanness on the deeper and higher levels of themselves and they're engaged in the war relative to themselves in other words they work harder than you and I will ever work they're squeezing themselves and pushing themselves and exacting of themselves to a degree that would drive us insane in about 15 minutes Because this is their avoider. This is what the eibishtin expects of them. Just as you and I are fighting to stay afloat behaviorally, they have to grow. Tadikim can't stay in one place. We can stay in one place. They have to grow in the refinement of themselves at these higher and deeper levels. So I'm going to give you two examples. A simpler example and a slightly more uh, subtle example. The first example... um, uh, would be what the Talmud says, when, you, when a tzaddik is very, very intense, and tzaddikim are very intense, and by the virtue of their intensity, they burn, they affect negatively, the people around themselves, in other words, their intense love for God, their intense engagement in the religion, has an adverse effect on the people around themselves, yeah. is considered... To the tzaddik of flaw. But why would it be? Because it's human nature. Isn't it, isn't it the most important thing to love thy fellow? And if he's a tzaddik, then he should love thy fellow more than any of us? We're not talking philosophy here. We're talking psychology here. Right. We're talking people. you intimidated people? It, it can be affected in many, many ways. People who are very, very, very intense in anything have an incredible amount of energy. And the energy is not expressed in only what they do or what they say. It's their very, very presence. It's a powerful person. Have you ever been next to a big person? you ever met powerful personalities? Push it. Powerful, powerful personalities intimidate you just by being around. Until you meet such a presence, um, you don't understand that it's, well, what's the big deal? So, he's the president of the United States. You know, or he's, uh, some other very, very prominent people. Sometimes, you meet people and they're just bigger they just dwarf you by, without any intention they're just incredibly intense people but I know not necessarily <laughs> not necessarily when a person is incredibly passionate about the Ebi there is a residual effect that's really unintended mm-hmm. that hurts other people or to say it even more practically sometimes a person in his love for God becomes a little bit intolerant Becomes, it's hard for him to understand how other people could be so indifferent, so dispassionate, so I could take it and leave it about the Ebeshter, what we call kanos, zealotry. Right? The, the, you know who's the, the model of kanos in the history of the Jewish nation? Pinchas. There's even a better example than Pinchas. Eliyahu the prophet. Mm-hmm. The, Zoya says, the Chazal tells Pinchas Eliyahu, and according to some opinions, he is first Eliyahu and then he was Pinchas. Eliyahu was an incredibly inspired Jew. And he's held accountable, he's held responsible for speaking Lashon Hara against the worst generation of Jews in our history. And that's why he's showing up at every bris. Because mm-hmm. he dared say, as bris said, they have forsaken your covenant. So the, Eliyahu was running from bris to bris to do tshuva for what? Now, Eliyahu was a kanoi. He was a zealot. Zealotry has a place in Judaism. And uh, yet, considering the madrig of Eliyahu, he's held responsible for his overstating, for speaking too severely, speaking losh ra against Klael Yisrael. Now, Eliyahu Anavi was not an imperfect tzad. Eliyahu was a perfect tzad. So with him, kanois, his zealotry, and why he has to come to every bris, it really, it's a different issue. It's a positive But I'm using him as an example. Sometimes tzaddikim, in their great intensity, have no tolerance, cannot suffer other people. And considering their madrege, for them it's a virtual sin. Even if they're not doing anything um, to hurt another person. Perhaps they're not even saying anything. The fact that they'll feel those negative emotions is something that an imperfect tzaddik needs to repair. He needs to do tshuva for. Now, how do you do tshuva for a non-sin? And this is the world of the tzaddik. You know, you read stories about tzaddikim who would fast until their teeth turned black. The Gemara says, this is a different level of existence. This is not being more religious. This is not being more careful about what they do with mitzvahs. This is a level of being tuned in that has to do entirely with the spirit. Has to do with who they are, not what they do. And a a normal person who is a tzaddik, which means say an inspired person who still has a struggle, This is his issue. This is one of his issues. To refine himself so much that in spite of the fact that he's so inspired and so passionate when it comes to the next person, there's only love. There's only positiveness. And if you'll think about it, you realize that this is, it's almost as impossible as you and I never sinning. It's an incredibly great challenge. Let's go up to a higher notch. I'll give you even a higher level of the same. There's a concept in Hasidus called murgash. Murgash means to serve God in a demonstratively passionate way. In simple English that means you're excited about God and the whole neighborhood knows it. Or at least the people on your block. where your emotions spill over? According to Hasidus, the highest level of human emotion is dvekas. Inside, the, the heat, the intensity is incredible But you are so completely tuned in to the Ebi and to your purpose that nobody but you even sees it. To everybody else, it's completely stone. The deepest level of emotion is emotion that's efficient. It's like electricity. If electricity runs through wires and the wires get hot, it's inefficient. The highest level of intensity, of connection to the Abish that is called in Hasidus, Biltim Morgash. Nobody else sees it, because he just completely won. The example of a Biltim Morgash is Adam and Chava before the original sin. It wasn't only they were incredibly tuned in, but their being tuned in was such a natural thing, it was like it, it was who they were. The, one of the ill effects of Adam and Chava's sin is, um, is that they introduced to the world of Tzadikim. Murgish, that even when you're passionate about the Yavish, the passion is demonstrative. And the emotion that's displayed by the tzaddik is uh, an inefficiency. It's a lack of, 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 of completely concentrated energy and passion in, in one's relationship with the Yavish. In Kabbalah it's brought that there's a connection between Adam and Noach, Noah. And Noah's drunkenness, is seen not Adam, is seen as the continuation of that failure Noyach's drinking wine was no ordinary event it was a deep mystical trip deep mystical effort and Noyach's failure was because of this to, to drink wine and to use it in the service of Hashem perfectly has to be built timurgash in a dispassionate way and since Adam was incapable Neuer was incapable of that it translated into something negative became drug it and i want to explain to you what it means I'll tell you what it means. First I'll start with a story. That somebody once asked the third Lubavitcher Rebbe the Tzamech what Moshe Rabbeinu was doing, what Moses did when the sea was splitting. When the sea split. So he answered, he was cold fire. He stood like a statue, demonstrated nothing on the outside, inside the intensity was incredible. Because when a perfect person is a perfect tzaddik, <coughs> there is zero friction. In the Ahava, in other words, it's a state of dveikus, a state of unity to Hashem, which is so perfect and so exact that it doesn't show anything on the outside. Because the external demonstration of passion is a sign of inefficiency. Okay, and I'll give you the marshal that I've given you over the years so many times. In the Beis Hamikdash, there was an altar that burnt meat and wood. Wood, meat, and wood is filled with water with high percentages of moisture. The consequence of which is. Of course, the fire has to be hot enough not just to consume the carbon but to dry out the moisture within the wood and especially within the fresh meat. But the process is very, very, very dynamic. When you burn fresh meat, it's a very, very noisy fire. It whistles and it cracks and it pops and it whizzes and the, you know, you, you, there's drafts. You know the, the, the meat can actually be thrown out of the fire because there's conflict. The heat and the moisture are in conflict. Eventually, if the fire is hot enough, it will dry out the meat and the wood and as they dry, the fire becomes hotter and quieter. And when you reach a point where it's completely dried out and all you have is fuel, you don't have that many flames even. It becomes so concentrated, the heat is entirely on the inside. It's not even demonstrative with visible flames, it becomes an intense concentration of heat within the embers, within the coals. This is the mushal. And the nimshal is, the imperfect Tzadik's got stuff in him. That's ra, that's evil. He's an inspired person. Which means that on the behavioral level, his consistency is based on inspiration. There's no struggle. But on the subconscious layers, and there are multiple layers in the subconscious of a tzaddik, there's evil. And tzaddikim are in a war with themselves. The kind of a war that you and I cannot relate to at all. Because tzaddikim have to grow. They have to refine themselves. They have to eradicate the evil that exists in their subconscious. And I gave you two illustrations. The more peripheral, the lower illustration is that their piety and their righteousness affects other human beings adversely in a negative way. And on a higher level, the mere fact that their piety is expressed on the outside, that it's a demonstrative kind of passion for the Yavishter is a sign of inefficiency, a lack of dveg with the Yavishter. This is the realm of the inspired person, the tzaddik, who's quote still human, he's normal. Hang on a moment, please. In the Tanya, the al puts it as follows. He says a tzaddik is defined by his love for God. Okay, The bayini is defined by his self-control. Okay, don't tell anybody hurt people's feelings, but that's what it is. The bailing is defined by his self-control. A tzaddik is defined by his love for God. It says, Dalt Rebbe, you can love God more and you can love God less. The degrees of one, of the tzaddik's love for God are inversely proportional to the minute ra, the minute evil that exists on some layer of the subconscious. The higher the tzaddik, the more intense the love, the smaller the portion of evil. But even if the evil is tiny, and exists in the deepest recesses of the subconscious, that's an imperfect tzaddik. And he's expected to clean it up, to struggle and fight, to go to the next level, and his love is imperfect. And the Altarebbe says, sometimes a tzaddik, as someone here indicated before, is having a hard time figuring himself out. Says the Altarebbe, there's an inverse measure. If a person wants to know what level of tzaddik they are on, it is sometimes helpful to examine the degree to which they hate evil. Because Ahava and sinna are shnei kavim This is an argument that al represents in the Tanya as a matter of fact. The love for God and the hatred for the alternative are equal and opposite. And if you love God absolutely, you have an absolute hatred for evil. And if you have less than an absolute hatred for evil, that's an indication that your love for God is imperfect. Or alternatively, that there's ra, that there's evil someplace in your subconscious, And you're still, quote, a normal human being, although an inspired one. And I want to share something with you which is counterintuitive, but logical and true. A person who hates evil absolutely has a cold hatred. It's a dispassionate hatred. He doesn't even feel it. To him, evil doesn't exist. If you hate evil and your hatred is emotional... That emotion is really rooted in a relationship with the evil. When you're passionate about evil, because an emotional one of the most profound psychological statements in all of the Zohar is Chesed Ozel Imkula Yoyimin. There is no emotion without love. It's a Zoharic statement, and it's so profound. If you have any kind of feelings towards something, you have a relationship with it. Because things to which you have zero relationship, you have zero feelings for. So if you hate something and your hatred is passion, because there's, a, there's a, actually a connection. So the irony is, the perfect that loves God absolutely, hates evil absolutely, and the hatred is cold. There's a great story with the Rebbe. The okay. uh, Rebbe, Rebbe tells it in the stories. it's a story he heard from his, previous, from his predecessor, from the previous Rebbe, and it's in the Rebbe's notes, which have been published since Gimel Thomas, that the previous Rebbe told him a story that the great Rebbe Rabbeinachem Chernobyl, the Holy Rebbeinachem Chernobyl, was a perfect tzaddik. He was heavy, he was very, very fat. But not from too many tishin. He was fat from Omen Yehishmei Rabba. He was fat from Omen He was physically heavy from saying Omen Yehishmei That's quite a bit of kavana. That's very interesting. Rabbeinachem Tsenobolev was sitting at the table, and he was drinking a glass of tea, and he asked for milk. And the milk was sitting on the table. And he didn't see it. So he asked for milk. He said, the milk is on the table. He says, where is it? Then somebody comes running in and says, the milk is treif. It was So, Salaf nochem chenabaleh Cholav Yakum Yisrael hmm. le'yehu. What makes milk treif? What makes Cholavakum, chalavakum? If it was milked and a Jew did not watch the milking. Right? So the expression in the Gemara is, Cholav shecholav Yakum," milk, milked by a non-Jew. And Yisrael le'yehu, the Jew didn't see the milking. So nochem chenabaleh translated Milk, milked by a guy. a Jew can't see it. He physically did not see it. That is a level of disconnection from evil that is so absolute that if it's evil, it doesn't exist in your world. It simply didn't exist. Nacham was not. It wasn't emotional. He wasn't, oh, he just taped on the table. It wasn't there. An imperfect tzaddik would have gotten nervous. <laughs> he was above the whole situation. So we have discussed, to some degree, the first category of tzaddik. I I, I believe now that I'm going to get to you. He's an inspired person, so he doesn't have a behavioral struggle, but he's human, which means he lives for self-perfection. He has to grow himself. And there's an expectation of imperfect tzaddik to grow. That's why these people, you read the stories about they were brutalizing themselves, torturing themselves, because they understood that it is their purpose to eradicate a little bit more of the subconscious evil that exists in their lives and understand that just as tzaddik in general is a gift, perfect tzaddik is also a gift. To completely eradicate evil and to ascend from being a tzaddik who's a normal person to a tzaddik who's a virtual angel only happens because God allows it. You can't achieve it by yourself. You can go towards it, but you cannot achieve it. Go ahead. Oh, I just wanted to know if a normal person also has to work on their subconscious but, or if that's totally beyond. It, the so answer to that question is you? the Alter Rebbe in Tanya says mm-hmm. from time to time you should try it but that's not how you define your life. So if can a normal person if they work on the external like behavior and everything will that lead to the other parts changing or is not? I'm going to answer the question directly. Mm-hmm. It depends. Because in a person working on the behavioral dimension, there's two levels. The lower level is not to do things that are wrong and do things that are right. The higher level is, is refining yourself. Not giving in to temptations, even if the temptations are kosher, for example. If a person <coughs> follows the Tata precisely, doesn't push themselves beyond their limits. So dealing with behavioral discipline is not going to affect the subconscious. But when you push yourself beyond those limits, when you don't, beyond the letter of the law, it does have an effect on the subconscious to a very limited degree. So why does a person work on their character? What is that called midos, you know? I'm answering you. We work not on our midos, but on the actions that come from those midos. What does it mean to work on your character traits? To change how you feel, or to change what you do about it? Answer honestly. Midos are like how you treat people. That's behavioral. But medos don't mean behaviors. Medos mean emotions. It's a, you have to, you, we always work on our actions. The idea that I'm not only not acting angry, but I'm not feeling angry, is a different level. Uh, the difference between imperfect tzaddik and perfect tzaddik is it like Rashbi after twelve years in the cave and thirteen years? No, ago? no. Rashbi was in tzaddik gomur because he was burning everything. That it's he true. Saw? It's true, and that that's a different that has to be understood. But Rashi so was a ne'ilah. It was, he was the highest. What's the difference in him between twelve years and thirteen? Years? The inside the in Gomer itself, his ability to appreciate the space of the world around himself. Now, I, I want to say one other thing. When I talk, what, what is the structure of the class? We're talking about tzaddik. We're defining tzaddik as an inspired person. And I'm, we've dealt so far with the tzaddik who's still normal. Why is he normal? Because he has a struggle. He has different struggles than we do. I want to say that to you in different words. We all came into this world, God put us here. And our number one responsibility is to ourselves. The first responsibility we have is to work on ourselves. We can help other people. It may be part of the mandate to help other people. But the first responsibility of a Jew is to bring himself closer to Hashem. To distance us more from evil. To grow. The imperfect tzaddik is in that category. He's a human being who exists on this planet whose first responsibility is himself. And he's not allowed to neglect himself. Now let's get to the perfect tzaddik. Perfect tzaddiks are, besides the fact that they have bodies, might as well be angels. They're, they're, They're... completely clear. Not only are they inspired, they have no evil whatsoever. Zero. In other words, they've successfully eradicated evil from all the layers of the subconscious and they are pure to their very, very, very core. The consequence of this purity is that the issues I mentioned before about their intensity purging or... or, or, um, uh, singing, burning others, or their passion being emotional, demonstrative on the outside, which is a symbol of a lack of harmony, a lack of efficiency within themselves, is an non issue. Perfect tadikah about the state of tvakas. And I would propose to you that if you walked into a shtibl and you were fortunate enough to see a Tadiq who's perfect standing side by side with a tadik which was imperfect, you'd be far more impressed with the imperfect Tadiq than you would with the perfect tzaddik. Because in the imperfect tzaddik, you'd see intense passion, which are a symptom of his inner struggle. The perfect tzaddik said, peace. Peace looks like us. You understand? We're not trying. <laughs> he doesn't have to try. Otherwise, it's exactly the same thing. But in fact, this is the person who's in the state of dvekas with the ebisht. You, know, you want to have personalities to read about who were perfect tzaddikim, whose lives were odd as a consequence. Read about the great, I've of Ruzhin. He's a perfect model. Because he he, he looked like just a regular guy. And he was just... He was a fire dvekas the evishter. Read about his life and there's a lot written about him. People like this. This is an unusual kind of a human being. Because they're completely clear. It doesn't mean they were born that way. They achieved it. They worked. They fought. They fasted. They tortured themselves. They grew. And it's a gift from God. If going from benini to imperfect tzaddik is a gift from God. Imperfect Tadik to perfect Tadik is certainly a gift from God, because we and the per- imperfect Tadik are pretty much the same thing. We're people struggling with ourselves. We're struggling with ourselves that we shouldn't sleep late. The imperfect Tadik is struggling with himself. He shouldn't sleep five more seconds. But it's still a struggle with a person in relationship with himself. A perfect Tadik is, is his whole identity. Is that he's Dvekas one with the Ebsted and his entire existence is that service there's no nothing to him other than a service to Hashem it's a perfect tzaddik so why does he even exist why does he even what purpose does a perfect tzaddik serve if you have no struggle you have no no purpose God created us we live in the physical world and we struggle Bain and him have the same struggle for as long as they live because they never transcend it. they're constantly fighting the same battles Control yourself, control yourself, control yourself. How many times are you going to tell yourself to control yourself? I still got to say it because I have no control. Yeah. Tzadikim are growing. But they're also in a state of struggle. Uh, perfect Tzadik has no struggle. So why does he exist? And I suppose the most succinct way for me to say it, they exist because of their effect, their influence on the world around themselves. They in fact would not exist for their own sake. They exist for what's going on around them, for people and for the world. And the Al rebbe makes two points in so to speak justifying the existence of perfect Sadiqah. Jews are in a country such an incredible state of Vegas with Hashem, which is also called a love of pleasure, a love of connectedness. And he makes two points. The first is to be mavada the world, to elevate the world. Let's go back to us for a moment. Let's go back to us. We struggle. Our struggle is to maintain our behavioral consistency. Tzadikim's struggle is to grow in their refinement and their cleansing of their emotional subconscious and their intellectual subconscious higher and higher and deeper and deeper. But there's a residual benefit from our lives. Something else happens. When we come into this life and live it and struggle and succeed, it isn't only that we've improved ourselves. We've inevitably and invariably improved the world around ourselves because we partake of it. And it's it's impossible to struggle without eating food, without wearing clothing, without having a job, without engaging with people and with things and with places. And in addition to the successes that we have within our person, we elevate sparks as Kabbalah calls it. We touch the world around ourselves. This is called birur. We're creating clarity not just within ourselves but clarity within our environment, our immediate environment, our extended environment, and our peripheral environment. Getting back now to the perfect tzaddik, he doesn't have a struggle within himself, but he does have a struggle with his environment. Perfect tzaddikim don't have any fight within themselves, but their struggles with going on around themselves, they also elevate sparks, and they're doing a much better job than we will ever do. But they're involved in elevating the world. So though they, in as much as themselves are concerned, there is no struggle, in relationship with the world around themselves, there is a struggle. And remember, perfect Sadiqim's struggle is relative to perfect Sadiqim's perfection. So it's an incredibly intense effort, an incredibly deep and involved avoida, but it's about elevating the world around themselves, raising up the world around themselves. In in, in um in, in, in Hasidis and in Kabbalah you read, I'm sorry, about the difference between ordinary people and perfect tzaddikim. The ordinary people means me and you and the imperfect tzaddikim. We're all considered ordinary people. Then when we eat food, there's a war. Why? Food is klipa. Food's not holy. There's a struggle. The Zoya says, bread is eaten with a sword. With <clears throat> a With a sword. It doesn't say with a knife. What does that mean, bread is eaten with a sword? Any time you touch anything physical, there's a struggle with your saving years. Perfect tzaddikim's food is like karbonus. It's holy. That's why in other chassidists, they would grab the leftover food of tzaddikim, believing that we're eating shire carbon leftovers from holy food. Because perfect tzaddikim's food is not tzaddik eichel azeve nafsheh. There's nothing unholy within the tzaddik, and therefore what the tzaddik eats, he raises up automatically. And people want to eat his leftovers because it's like accessing the holy food, godliness. But tzaddikim elevate the world. They don't have to elevate themselves because they're already elevated. They elevate the world. Perfect tzaddikim. Perfect tzaddikim. To use... uh, That's the first point. It's a perfect tzaddikim called Bnei Aliyah. Sons of Aliyah. Aliyah doesn't mean to live in the attic. Although it means that too. Bnei Aliyah means people who raise up. But there's another issue. And the second issue is called And I'll put it to you in these words. We exist to improve ourselves. To grow. Whether we're growing you know, laterally or we're growing uh, vertically, upwards. Be'ninim grow on the same plane. Tzadikim grow from plane to plane. Perfect tzadikim are not about growth. Perfect tzaddikim are bringing Hashem into the world. Their lives are actually inverse images of ours. We live to go away from this world and get close to the Eivishtet. Perfect tzaddikim exists to bring God into the world, which is called, to bring a unity between, to bring God in into this world. Tzaddikim exists to import God. The, the, the classic example of this is Avraham Avinu. Avraham Avinu is a perfect tzaddik, he loved God helplessly. And his mission in this world was love. That means to bring the love of God to the world. In the Shema, we say, Shema Yisrael HaShem Malakena HaShem Right, you've heard my joke about hero already, so it's old and stale, right? Listen, Jew. Pay attention, Jew. God is one. V'yohavta. What is V'yohavta? Thou shalt love. You are commanded to love. That's the first translation. On a higher level, V'yohavta. Thou willeth, will love. You will. It's a promise. It's not a commandment, but it's a commandment. You, if you think about God, you'll love God. And then there's a third translation of Yahafta. Make others love God. And that's the perfect tzaddik's role. He's in a state of tzveikas. He, he's so in love with God, you can't tell him to love God. He's one with God. He has a tzveikas. So, to him, to spread the love around, to give other people the love that he has t- to the Meibish. so a perfect tzaddik's struggles are all outside of himself. First of all, Bnei Aliyah to raise up the world, and second of all, to give God to the world. It's called in Kabbalah. It's called to make a yichud, to make a unity between God and His creation. In other words, ordinary people are dealing with the struggle between good and evil. Perfect tzaddikim, for whom there is no struggle between good and evil, are bringing more goodness into the Yehvist's world. This is the realm of the perfect tzaddik. And of course, there's a many, many levels of tzaddik. There's thousands of levels of imperfect tzaddik, and there's numerous levels of, of perfect tzaddik. There's a whole bunch of levels of 36 tzaddikim, and then there's B'nai Aliyah, those who are on a higher level than something called the tzaddik sodolam. One tzaddik in every generation is the foundation of the world. Then the Rebbe says, there are within tzaddik Sodolam, olam, tzaddikim who are the foundation of the world, there's a unique category of Shimon by Yehoi in Cheskiyom al Yehuda, that the Gemara says, Rashi brings a Chumash, that in their generation there was no rainbow. They were such perfect tzaddikim that they made their whole generation tzaddikim, which is even a higher level in tzaddik, y tzaddik, y tzaddik. <coughs> One of the interesting ideas we encounter in Hasidis about perfect tzaddikim is the concept of an eshamah kfalit, a general soul. And the concept of a general soul is quite interesting general soul is a human being who within himself doesn't have this struggle but his existence is not defined by him his existence is defined by the people he's a general soul means to say God created him to lead the people the people live on him his struggle is the people who follow him but there's a symbiosis here there's an interconnectedness just as the people need him he needs the people. The highest Madrega of tzaddik, perfect tzaddik, on the a general soul, Rabenu. A general soul is as dependent upon the people he leads as the people he leads are dependent upon him. It says in Hasidus, that only because Masha Rabenu was a Rebbe did, did he rise himself up to a Madrega called a Noichi. Masha Rabenu by himself was an incredibly great soul. But the true greatness of Masha Rabenu came from his relationship with people. Noach, is that That's one of Nayak's deficiencies, and one of the Marishim's deficiencies. Mm-hmm. The first general soul that was functional as such was Meshe Rabbein. So Nayak was a Jew, a, pre- a human being who saved only himself and his family. Tadik, he was a tzaddik, but he wasn't an the Shammu He didn't have the influence on his generation. Okay, so we've discussed tonight tzaddik. And if you no. forgot everything I said, remember one bottom line. Tzadikim are inspired people. And we ain't. Tzadikim. <laughs> <So laughs> we, we are. We're wonderful. We're incredible. <laughs> we are so incredible and amazing. And there's something very perfect about being imperfect. I'll tell you a nice little story. And I'll finish with this. The Gemara says, the Talmud says, it's mentioned on the very first page of the Tanya. If everybody on the planet tells you you're a tzaddik, don't believe him. In other words... If people tell you you're inspired, don't believe. Him. Why? Because if you believe you that you're inspired, inspired you inspire people, you inspire... What is what your is entire it? identity is an inspired identity. You're in a state of constant inspiration. And in fact, you're not an inspired person, you'll let your guard down against the Hara, and you'll fall. So an inspired person is not allowed to believe anybody Who's a part of Eulah, part of Eulah part, part, part of the world that he's inspired. You have to always assume, I'm inspired because I'm involved in religion. I'll stop thinking about God, I'll lose my inspiration. So how does a tzaddik discover in fact that he's a tzaddik if he can't trust anybody? Of course, the answer is he has to trust another tzaddik. So there's a story in the Chabad tradition about the Rebbe Marash, the fourth of Avot, called in a very famous chassid, it was a very special chassid. And he told him, it's time to contemplate the job of a tzaddik. He says, Benyani was till now, and now it's tzaddik. He actually told him, you're ready for the next level. Okay, and I want to give everybody in this room a guarantee, you're not ready <laughs> for the next level. Do what you got to do. And I want to finish, just, you're a just because I don't want you to make me look bad. Um, <laughs> I do want to finish with one final thought, which will also inspire the question you asked near the beginning of the class. One of the most painful episodes in Jewish history is the story of a Jew named Yechenen Kein Gadol. Yechenen was a high priest during the Second Temple. And he had 80 years of longevity. The, Gemara says, the Talmud says the Second Temple stood for 420 years. In those 420 years, there were 280 high priests. That means average life expectancy of 18 months. But here's what you don't know. Of those 420 years, Yochanan accounts for 80. Shem Atzadeh accounts for another 40. And Reuzeb al Hasma accounts for another 16. So if you do the math, life expectancy was about 10 months. (laughs) For the rest. So Yochanan can the greatest longevity. Nobody came near him. If If you ever studied Tanakh, the high priest in the time of the first temple lived forever. I think there were like 10 of them in the entire period of the Beis HaMikdash. They had incredible Adi They were very holy people. The kings were dying every couple of months, or every couple of years. But the high priests just went on and on and on. The high priests in the first Beis HaMikdash, there were literally a dozen of them over the course of hundreds of years. They just kept on living, They had very long lives. But in the second Beis HaMikdash, they would go into the Holy of Holies and within months they died. And they knew it. Because they were not worthy. And they would actually purchase the right to go into the Holy of Holies knowing full well that it would cost them their lives. Yehoshua ben was a high priest for eighty years, so he was a holy man. He was perhaps a perfect tzaddik, and then he became a seduki. He became a sedusi, which means for all intents and purposes, he became a complete heretic. You threw away the whole religion. So the question is asked: How could this be? Such an incredibly holy person, and it uh, you know, and the proof is in the pudding, you know. You don't need anybody to tell you he was a perfect tzaddik. You're talking about an era where high priests died annually after going into the Holy of Holies. He survived 80 seasons. How do you fall? So there's Al Chasidish Avot, which is quite wise. And it's based on a Talmudic phrase. The Golash is, a Talmudic phrase is, Yoichene keen godless shimish me Shana evanase tzaddiki. Yoichene the high priest served 80 years and he became a sadducee. But the word that's used is tzadduki. Tzaduki could also mean from the word Tzadik. So it's Tzadik Yiddish. He became self-righteous. He noticed that he was a Tzadik. He became aware. Hey, I'm righteous. And that's the beginning of the end. That's the beginning of the slippery slope. So this week we talk about Tzadik. And in the Hashem, next clip we'll talk about Rasha. We'll try to make it interesting and uplifting. What